What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Baseball Connection. So yesterday began with a very rare trade between the Yankees and the Red Sox. It was a deal sending right-handed reliever Adam Ottavino to Boston in exchange for cash for a player to be named later. This was a salary dump because Ottavino had a $9 million salary. You know, that, that, well, he has a $9 million salary, so that was a $9 million luxury tax hit because he signed a three-year $27 million deal two years ago, and the Yankees have been trying to get underneath that luxury tax, so this, they decided to salary dump him. They sent him and eight hundred fifty grand to the Red Sox, so the Red Sox are going to have to pay $8.15 million dollars so the Yankees are freeing up 8.15 million dollars of luxury breathing room by dumping Adam Ottavino and um yeah I mean because they just acquired Jameson Tyon agreed to terms with DJ Mayhew and Corey Kluber Yankees found themselves you know with just a million dollars to spare so you know by dumping Ottavino they're able to get within that luxury tax I mean that space is going to prove really vital because Apparently, ownership has given a mandate to the front office, meaning Brian Cashman and co, that they, they need to stay under the tax threshold, which is, which is funny to me. Why do the New York Yankees care about the luxury tax? I mean, I, I, mean, I understand there's, there's a you know, repeat tax or whatever for every year you're above it. You keep paying escalated penalties until you reset by getting under that tax. But if you're the New York Yankees, does that really matter? What kind of money they have? It's not like it's that much money, but it's a business, so... Uh, businesses make business decisions, and that's dollars and cents at the end of the day. So, yeah, I mean, the Yankees have actually recently spoken to Brett Gardner about a reunion, and they could still be looking for an affordable you know, rotation piece, but time will tell. But with that being said, this trade, you know, this is only the second time in Brian Cashman's tenure he's ever traded with the Red Sox. You know, the first time was six and a half years ago when they traded Stephen Drew and Kelly Johnson in 2014. But obviously, finances were the driving factor in this trade. And for the Red Sox, my Red Sox, I like this move a lot. I mean, he he did struggle during this last year, a shortened season. Um, but we know what he can do generally. It seems like Heim Bloom, which is, you know, president of baseball operations in Boston, He's signing all these distressed assets, I should say. You know, these, these players who are who have been good historically, but coming off of a down year. So we're talking about like a guy like Garrett Richards, who wasn't really coming off a down year, just not a great year. Ottavino, uh, you know, guys like that. And um, guys who can definitely, uh, you know, hopefully bounce back and help the Red Sox a lot this year. I mean, this is... Not going to be a contending year for Boston, but they should definitely be a lot more fun to watch than last year. I mean, I'll actually be able to recognize who's on the mound this time. Because last year, I was like, who, who are we even throwing out there? We would call up these random kids that nobody had ever heard of to start because we had just no pitching at all. I mean, pitching was what doomed the 2020 Red Sox. So at least this year, we'll be able to figure out or we'll be able to uh, recognize who's pitching. So that's good for me as a Red Sox fan. In other news, apparently in negotiations between Major League Baseball and MLBPA, uh, Major League Baseball offered the universal DH, but MLBPA said no because this was not the only aspect of the offer. MLB said 
We'll give you a universal DH if you give us expanded playoffs and implementation of the pitch clock and a trial run for electronic strike zones in spring training and other things. And obviously, that that offer was way too lopsided for the MLBPA to agree, so they said no. And because we still don't know whether or not there's going to be a DH in the National League, we have a couple of free agents who are waiting on the sidelines, Nelson Cruz and Marcelo Zuna. They're waiting on the sidelines to see if there's going to be a DH because that's obviously going to change their market. I mean, it's going to change whether or not they're looking at National League teams or, or I'm sorry, American League teams or both American League and National League teams. Time will tell, especially Nelson Cruz. Not not as much Marcelo Zuna, but of course, that's going to help him if he can go to a team uh, with the DH. Um, so, yeah, I mean, meanwhile, National League teams are left to build a lineup and a roster without knowing whether or not they'll have an extra spot for an additional hitter. So that's that's been a wrinkle this offseason. But I, I think the smart teams just, if you're in the National League, you just assume you're not going to have it. You know, you prepare for the worst-case scenario. You assume you're not going to have it, and then if all of a sudden it is granted, then you have, you know, you have that flexibility to, you know, to make some moves or move guys around at the last moment. You don't want to assume you're going to have a DH and then not have it and then have a glut at a position. So, yeah, I mean, the Michael Brantley signing was was made official yesterday in Houston. He's back. And bigger news is that Masahiro Tanaka is in the negotiations to return to Japan, the Rakuten Eagles. This is a team he played for from 2007 to 2013. And reports are that he could receive the official offer from the Eagles sometime this week. I mean, Tanaka's a free agent. He had a very, very successful tenure in New York. Over seven years, he posted a 3.74 ERA, two all-star teams, and was, was awesome in the postseason. A lot of people assumed he would return to the Yankees this winter, but it seems the Yan- Yankees have just gone in a completely different direction by getting you know, cheaper arms, Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyon. I mean, for Kluber and Tyon, I mean, I think it was like $10 million for Kluber or something like that. And then Tyon is 2.25. So they spend like 12, 12 you know, plus million dollars on two players rather than you know what they would have to pay Tanaka. So that's that's what they have going for them there. I mean, but I mean, if Tanaka decides to stay in the United States, he'll he'll have no trouble finding a home. I mean, he has he's 32 and he has a wonderful track record. He's still one of the top starters left on the free agent market. But um it sounds like an offer from Japan is coming very soon, and um, yeah, he would be he would be making a reunion with his old team there. Apparently, Justin Turner has some options on the table that would put him on a contender. Uh, the Dodgers and Blue Jays are two of these uh, four options, but I mean, he is thirty six years old and he's seeking a four year deal. So that's that's um. Hold up right now because the Dodgers are looking to give him a two-year deal. He's looking for a four-year deal. I mean, he'll he'll find somewhere to go, but this is kind of like the last you no know, real last big contract of his career because he is 36 years old. So that's gonna do it for today. If you enjoyed this, please share it with someone who'd be interested, and we'll see you next time on Baseball Connection. <laughs>